This balloon was much smaller and cylindrical. So there's all sorts of shapes and sizes coming out of here, I tell you. Hello, Michelle. Hi. (laughs) What's so funny? Well, because I thought you were going to say it's nice to see you, even though I've just seen you two minutes ago. That's right. We are once again together again. You and me. Together. That's Kylie and Jason. Oh, that's it. I forgot how it went, that song. Together. Forever. Together forever for the week, at least. For at least a week. Oh, my God. I can't even speak Well, that's no good. You're podcasting. That's not good, is it? Doesn't bode well for the next hour. Hey, eavesdroppers. Welcome to our podcast. This is a podcast about real life, true crime, and the supernatural. And I'm Geordie. And I'm Michelle. And you are eavesdropping on us. You're eavesdroppers. Well done to you. Aren't you clever? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And we love that you found us. We love that you listen. And we love that you tell all your friends about us. We love that. Spread the word. And we love it when you write in. So, Michelle, you're staying here this week, aren't you? With me. Yes, I am. Do you know who's looking forward to delivering your mail? No. <laughs> yes, we've got Dan the Hot Posty, who sadly you're not going to be able to flirt with him this week, Michelle, because he's on holiday. He's on holiday. He won't be here this week for you to flirt and for him to hand you your redirected mail. But when I saw him last week, he said to me, it was very confusing. I opened the door and he said, third marriage. And I didn't know what he was on about. <gasps> then I was like, oh. Fuck me, he's been listening to the podcast. <laughs> Took me a little while. And then he said, well, don't worry, fourth time's a charm. Don't tell Paddy I said that. Oh, he's a charmer, <laughs> isn't he? Funny. He's funny. And do you know what else happened? My dog slipped out the door. Now, she's currently on heat, and I explained that to him. And he said, oh, she's on her rags. And then he looked at me and said, see, I learn quickly. Oh. <laughs> Oh my god! He didn't hadn't heard that expression before. He does learn quickly. Maybe it's an Aussie thing if you're on your rag. I think it might be. I guess so. Do you know what? I remember asking Jen once, "Why are they called rags, Mum?" I guess because they used to use rags instead of sanitary towels. That's exactly it. Apparently, you used to have a belt and an old piece of rag. Oh God! And you'd have to tie the rag onto the belt. And then put it through the legs and tie it onto the back or the front, however it was. Palaver. And also, it can't be very sanitary. And also, like, it's just going to leak straight through. You'd have to have wadding or something, wouldn't you? Thank God we've got pads, pads and tamps these days. So, uh, (laughs) let's move on from the menstrual talk. Why does it always end up raggy? I don't know. Well, to be honest, it was the postie's fault. Yeah, thanks, Dan. Thanks a lot. But you'll see him next week, Michelle. So make sure that you have a quick, a witty response for him because he's fast. So much to know about Dan, the hot postie. I know. Goodness me. Yes, all right. Come early. We'll, we'll make you a cup of Dan. See you soon. <laughs> <laughs> God, sounds like a threat. <laughs> I don't. Do you think we can get in trouble for that harassment? I think you could. Yeah, I don't think they're allowed in the house. Oh. Okay, especially after COVID, you're not allowed anything like that, are you? Mm. Yeah, there's probably all sorts of health and safety reasons. He's probably he'd probably be in breach. He wouldn't be able to be wearing his uniform at least and step in. Yes, that's have a true. That's true. All right, yeah. all right. Just ignore that invitation, Dan. These are questions for Dan. I mean, the life of a postman. He did say he's been doing it for 23 years. There's all sorts of information out there about that. Have you never wondered about the postie? Well, I wonder if there's ever been a postie murder of a postie or by a postie or stalking. Because they wouldn't hand over a parcel. Well, no, because it could be anything. Do you remember I told you when we were talking about posties in another conversation, I told you that I used to have a very suspect postie back in the days when I lived in Peckham. And he used to scare the bejesus out of me. Why? He wasn't friendly, not like Dan. What made him so scary? I don't know. I can't remember the details, but I do remember thinking, having a bad feeling. You know when you've got those bad feelings? And you mustn't ignore them, dear eavesdroppers. Never ignore a feeling no. that you've got. If you're feeling uneasy, then go with Good that. intuition. Yes. Look, they do have power. Yes, I suppose. Like a cult leader. Well, they, they can withhold your mail they can say it never arrived that would be illegal mind you as if that's ever stopped a postie do you reckon they ever go through them the post yes these are questions for dan i think they know when there's money in a birthday card 
if they're being mean, the card just gets lost in the mail. Like if you didn't leave a little box of chocks out there on the doorstep every Christmas, then they're just going to say, guess what? When that granddad writing comes through the door, I know what's in there. It only comes once a year and it's slightly thicker than a Christmas card. I'll have that fiver, thanks. Yes. But did you leave chocks out for Dan? I don't know if I did this year because we're away, but I have, I think I've, Dan, I'm sorry if I haven't, but I have to the bin men because they particularly hate us because <laughs> of the mess on the driveway. <laughs> and who else? My window cleaners. Were you here when they came the other day? They're lovely. They're a bunch of lovely lads. I I have been here and they gave us I a cheeky a smile. And we were <laughs> sitting inside. <laughs> One tapped on the window in my son's bedroom the other day and he, he'd never seen them. The kids had never seen them. They're on half term. Yeah, They're like, who are those people? They're your window cleaners. How do you think your windows get clean? It's not magic. Well, it's not your mum, that's for sure. Tapping on a teenage boy's, well, almost teenage boy's darkened Well, window. I was with it. Oh, all right. Okay, okay. <laughs> you don't want to disturb Could have been another creep fest. Oh, Could have been another <laughs> cause for concern. I think we need to look into window cleaners and posties. I mean, we trust them. We have them in our lives. They're like family to us now. Yes. But what some of the darker sides of window cleaners and postmen. We have to look into this, Michelle. There's a podcast in that. There is. And Dan, get thinking about all your stories. We want them. People want to know. (laughs) Do they want to know? I don't know. I want to (laughs) know. Well, that was awkward. Was awkward. That was awkward. Awkward. I had a very nice message from Jane Beacon. A Beacon Twin. The Beacon Twins, really, they own this podcast this year. They, it is the year of the Beacon Twins. In fact, Lucy Beacon even put on, on her social media, eavesdropping, it's the year of the Beacon Twins. Uh, <laughs> and Jane Beacon sent me a very nice message. I won't read it all out because it's just so, so lovely. But she did say, I'll highlight the keywords, brilliant, Okay. funny, Intriguing, (laughs) well paced. Well paid? Paced. Oh, paced. Wish we were well paid. Oh, I know. Come on, Patreon kids. You've got to get on that. But friends with benefits, we love you. But yes, she said she's not just saying all of those because we gave the Beacon Twins a shout out. And she just thought we're very clever. Seriously impressed. Uh, You can feel the years of journalism coming out in the words. So there oh, you go. I love that. That's for Michelle, not me. No, I'm that's not both of us. You are a storyteller. Yes. Tell her I'm just stories. a storyteller. That's all I do. But yeah, so that was very nice. We love it when you say nice things to us. We love us when you give us ideas. Just don't give us ideas we've already done because we've done that. <laughs> I'll take it. Yes. And do you know what else? You can, like I said in our recent social media on our Instagram page, which is eavesdrop and underscore if you'd like to follow that we do videos we talk about each episode that we're doing just to give you a little flavor and a taste of what's to come it's not the actual podcast some people say yes I've seen it I'm like no you haven't seen it it's a podcast you listen to it (laughs) but you can shout at us if you want we won't hear you unless you put it in capitals on YouTube yes which is where the mean people are so what are we on about this week, Michelle? I think it's something to do with, uh, what would we call this week's theme? Well, mine I called chemical lows. Okay. It's not a chemical high. I've called mine weather balloons. Weather balloon. Weather balloons. You know, on this podcast, we do talk a lot about aliens and UFOs. And often people always say, oh, it's just a weather balloon. But what is a weather balloon anyway? I mean, what is a weather balloon? I mean, I'm sorry, but that sounds so fucking outdated. We've got drones. Do you pop up a weather balloon to see which way it goes? Oh, yes, it's northeasterly wind today. I know that because I've popped my balloon up. I don't think that's how they but do it. But what is the point? When we have drones and all sorts of amazing technology, why do we need a fucking balloon? That's like putting a pigeon, like getting a pigeon and putting yeah. a little note in. To send us an email. Exactly. Ridiculous. Well, listen, I was directed this week to a various news sites, the Financial Times, The Guardian, BBC News, because obviously the talk of balloons this week has been constant. Mm. And I'd like to know... What do you think these so-called spy balloons are that they're shooting down over North America? From China. They say. There's a question mark over that? I think there's a question question mark over the whole lot. 
Interesting. US military have shot down four in a month this month, which is February 2023, not four, Michelle. They've been seen floating at 20,000 feet, which is 6,100 metres. So that means that they are the same height as commercial aircraft and they're interfering with them. The military are saying, the US military are saying that they are posing a serious threat to, to domestic flights. Domestic yeah. flights, exactly. So you could fall into, you, know, you could bump into one and go off course or something. You may have heard that a US military spokesman says they speculate that China have sent more than 10 spy balloons into airspace, but China are hotly denying this, hotly denying it, although they have admitted to one. But the more intriguing thing that the spokesman said was that he could not rule out that the objects were extraterrestrial. Couldn't rule it out. That's what I find crazy right now because they were so quick to point the finger at China. Now they're saying aliens or are they? Well, they're saying unidentified. They're not saying. What the hell is going on, Jordy? What the hell is going on? I'll tell you. The latest one was shot down over Lake Huron, which is on the Canadian border. And it was described by defence officials as an unmanned octagonal structure with strings attached to it. Doesn't really sound like what I imagined a spacecraft to sound like. Sounds like a kite, to be honest. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, someone just lost their kite. And it all, but this whole thing began on February the 4th when the US noticed an object hovering for days off the coast of South Carolina. It had been there, I think, almost a week. And then finally they did something about it. Now, is this the one that was the size of the Statue of Liberty? I haven't heard anyone describe it as that big. But yes, this is the first one, the Mm. biggest one. And the actual, the only one that's been agreed, I think, that it is from to be China. From China, yes, the only one that they've kind of got all the remnants of. They say it originated in China and it had been used to monitor sensitive sites. But of course, China, after silence, eventually denied that the object was used for spying and said it was a weather monitoring device and it had blown astray. It's their weather balloon. I mean, what's, what's your initial thoughts about that? I just thought, watch this space. To be honest, I didn't give it much thought at all. It's only since people have been chatting to me about it that I decided to look into it. And, well, you'll see. I'll tell you all that I know. Because I, when I first read about this story, I immediately thought, bullshit. Because anything from China doesn't just, oh, blow, blow yeah. away. It doesn't just accidentally go off course. And, of course, all of their tech is full of fucking spyware. Mm. I mean, you know, we have talked before on this podcast about how the Australian government had asked Huawei to put in the defence force technology and tracking and spying technology. And, of course, they were spying on Australia. So, you know, China has, unfortunately, I'm not trying to, like, China bash here, but they have got a history of being a little shady when it comes to this stuff. Well, let's just look at both sides of that story, Michelle, because they're not the only ones who are spying, and I'll get to that later. Now, tensions, because of this China chat... Tensions between Washington and Beijing has ramped up over these objects, their origin and what they're being used for. It's all the talk about the balloons. Initially, when the US reached out to China, they didn't respond for several days. Then they must have responded. But we're not getting the information on what was actually discussed. They're keeping that to themselves, the American government. Fighter jets have shot down further three high-altitude objects in as many days, and both the US and Canada are working on trying to locate and identify the remnants. There's one in Alaska, and I'll give you a timeline in a minute, but it hasn't been located yet due to Arctic conditions, making it difficult to find. Now, that's another thing that people are saying bullshit about. I don't know why. I'm just accepting that. They can't find it. Fair enough. You can't find it. Whatever. But the White House spokesman said later that the remnants were, that they did find for the other three balloons or two that they found, were much smaller than the first balloon. Now, I haven't heard that it's as big as the Empire State Building. I have heard something other than that. But going back to what you just said about China being shady, well... China's foreign ministry have already responded by alleging that the US has flown balloons into its airspace more than 10 times in the past year. And anger is growing from China towards the US because the US government have now placed sanctions on six Chinese companies because of these recent balloons. But that's not to say that the US aren't doing the same thing not only to China, but to many, many countries. It's a given. They do it. 
accept it. Do you think, I mean, just hearing you say that, do you think that it was just an excuse for America to be able to put these restrictions on Chinese companies and they just latched onto it? I'm just putting that out there. Interesting. Let's pin that. Let's pin that one there. It has been heard from China that a spokesperson has said it's not uncommon for the US to illegally enter the airspace of other countries. Now, this, like I said, is quite well known and very well accepted. People are doing this all the time, not just America. I mean, when Russia was flying over Swedish airspace during the whole Ukrainian thing, you know, they in and out. People are all over the world. They're going in and out of these airspace. Well, we're going to look into it quite deeply today, Michelle. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about what they might be and what's been going on. And it does link up with previous episodes that we've discussed, in particular, the declassified files on UAPs. (gasps) AKA UFOs. So just listen to what I've got to tell you. We'll give you a timeline just so you know where we're at with all these balloons. 4th of February, South Carolina. So this bloody great giant balloon had been floating for days and eventually it was shot down. Remnants were discovered. That was the biggest one. That was the one they they classified as a Chinese spy balloon and it was admitted by the Chinese that they did own it. 10th of February, North Alaska. This is the one they can't find. Officials say it lacked propulsion or control and it was shot down and it is now unaccounted for as far as I know to date. 11th of February, Canada's Yukon Territory. Now, this one was on the border of the Yukon in Canada and the United States borders. This balloon was much smaller and cylindrical. So there's all sorts of shapes and sizes coming out of here, I tell you. So they can't find that. And then finally, there was the 12th of February, Lake Huron. So far, surely there's no more balloons for the moment. Some say that the later objects were actually weather balloons, but fighter pilots who scrambled to deal with the latest spate of them could not identify them accurately because the plane's higher speeds and the object's high altitudes and size, which are roughly that of a small car, makes it difficult to get good fidelity on exactly what these devices might be carrying or what they might be doing. No one can really see or make out what was going on. How bizarre. We have such incredible technology. We can see fucking pin from Google Earth millions of miles away. How are they not finding out what this is? How can they not see? There's a lot of speculation. And just wait wait and listen. I'm going to tell you some stuff which is going to be a little bit mind-bending, I think. So the initial spy balloon, the big fat one that you say was as big as the Empire State Building. Well, I heard that it was... 200 feet tall. I don't know how tall the Empire State, what was it? The Statue of Liberty, you said it was as big as. Did you say that? Yeah, Statue of Liberty. Yeah, so 200 feet. I don't know how tall that is. I don't think it's as tall as that. But it's got a payload the size of three school buses. That is quite big. That's a big, yeah. No propulsion or controls. Now let's go back to what that means. That means it's probably being blown by the wind because there's no motor pushing it along. Again, I just find that bizarre. Oh, we're just going to pop a balloon up the size of fucking three buses and we'll just see where it goes. No control. That sounds fishy to me. I don't know enough about balloons to be able to comment on that. Well, if it's unmanned, how are they controlling the direction or anything? Well, they, they haven't. That's why it ended up floating across. That's what the Chinese are saying anyway. So another reason for suddenly noticing these extra craft could be because the sensors have been ramped up to sensitive after the first object. That's how they're suddenly seeing all the rest. It's not like they've suddenly just blown up a cylinder, blown up an octagon, blown up a bus, blown up all this stuff and sent them flying. I mean, these things have probably have been floating up there for ages anyway. And no one's noticed. They're now noticing, and it's not the first time they've noticed balloons either. There's evidence that China is using the balloon fiasco to enrage citizens in China, to rally the population into an anti-US stance, and it appears to be working. They are using their mainstream media and social media sites to drum up a rhetoric of the US being problematic and overreacting to the straight balloon in an attempt to smear China. That all sounds fairly plausible to me. If I was a Chinese citizen, I'd be agreeing. So this is backed by disagreements over Taiwan, because the tensions are mounting over that. You know that, right? No, I didn't. I didn't. Yes. So Taiwan is, as far as China are concerned, it's theirs, very much like Ukraine and Russia. And there was a leaked memo from a high-ranking U.S. general 
in it, he said he predicted that China were readying themselves for war with the U.S. over the situation Mm. in Taiwan in 2025, 2025. So his attempt was to rally troops and to raise awareness amongst citizens. For some reason, that memo got leaked. Who knows why? Like I said, Taiwan, as far as they're concerned, they're not into it. The U.S. is supporting them. China wants it back or it wants to reintegrate it into China. And that is what this could be all about. It could be a distraction, or it could be something to be used as a jumping off point to start a war. Imagine if it all started because of balloons. It's not because of balloons, is it? But they're definitely being used as some kind of device. You're right, though, about the whole Russia-Ukraine thing. It's a mirror of this in many ways. One country wants this land, the other doesn't want to give it, and boom, you got an opportunity for some conflict. It's exhausting. So the contents of the memo are strengthened by statements made in 2021. So looking back to 2021, by comparison to this 2023 leaked memo, the then head in 2021 of the US Indo-Pacific Command is a man called Admiral Philip Davidson. He made a statement to the Senate committee hearing, and it's known as the Davidson Window. And the Admiral Davidson said he believed the Chinese threat to Taiwan would manifest in the next six years by 2027. So it's almost like they've put a date on this. And then you've got this other leaked memo, which was recently released. Now, why? How and why has such a memo been released? That, to me, is more interesting than balloons. Okay. So back to the balloons. Let's talk about them. Oh, sorry. (laughs) This is from something called The Hill, and it sounds like it might be a political internet magazine or something. In the article, it says that the U.S. were aware of China spying on the satellites and collecting data, so they've been feeding it false info. So they're trying to say they've got one up on them. But let's... Look at the amount of unaccounted things in the sky. So, for example, in 2004 and again in 2022, you've reported on this before in our podcast, Michelle, highly trained fighter pilots have witnessed the Tic Tac. You told us all about the Tic Tac in a previous episode, a smooth, wingless object defying physics, flip-flopping all over the place with unearthly maneuvers. And it was in the same area, but 18 years apart. Fighter pilots saw it with their own eyes. And then again, in 2014 and 15, at least 50 to 60 naval aviators. So these are guys on ships and in the sky flying off the east coast of the United States, observed unknown craft exhibiting similar extraordinary capabilities on a daily basis. Again, they didn't have any answers for this. This was all in those declassified memos. I can't remember what they were called, the UAPs, basically. You can find them. In 2016, there were military sightings from three sets of gun camera videos, which have been nicknamed Gimbal and Go Fast. They're the two incidences, right? They've named one Gimbal, the other is Go Fast. So Gimbal and Go Fast incidents were sightings where military, naval or Air Force have seen objects at various altitudes, including sea level, like dipping into the sea, which is what your Tic Tac did, and track them accelerating to hypersonic speeds, which is more than five times the speed of sound. And some of them were staying in the air up to 12 hours without refueling. So often these sightings are operating near the American aircraft carriers. Why is it always somewhere that the American military can see? Have a little think about this. We haven't thought of the answers yet. During the 2015 Gimbal incident, Navy pilots remarked that the radar picked up a whole fleet of UAPs, which seemed to merge and then vanish and then do impossible feats. Now, balloons don't accelerate to high speeds or make sharp turns. And the Tic Tac, the Gimbal and the Go Fast incidents all appeared not to have wings or a tail that would normally allow for high speed manoeuvres. Now, I'm asking you to think about these things for five minutes. They had no visible exhaust. And even when seen in infrared, you couldn't see any kind of propulsion. Mm -hmm. Going back to the Trump administration, there were three incidences of Chinese balloons crossing U.S. territories. The current National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said the Biden administration was able to retrospectively identify Chinese balloons in U.S. airspace during Trump's term afterwards, basically like go back in time somehow and identify them. He said, we've enhanced our capacity to be able to detect things that the Trump administration was unable to detect. 
we were able to go back and look at the historical patterns and uncover multiple instances during the Trump administration in which Chinese surveillance balloons were in American airspace territory. This caused outrage for Trump, of course. He couldn't believe it. So I'm just telling you all of this, right? So going back to the gimbal and the tic-tac and whatnot, what about this? Invisibility cloaks. <laughs> so going back to the 2014 and 15 incidences, which were viewed by US military, some of these things could only be seen through radar and infrared heat sensors. They couldn't be seen with the naked eye. So with the assistance of advanced helmet displays, that's when these people were able to film all these little things zip, zip, zipping around. But take off your helmet, look in the sky. You can't see them, Michelle. I love that. They were able to remain stationary in high winds and travel at great speeds for extended periods, not much like a balloon. So again, they're not balloons. But if China was responsible and had access to cloaking technology, why the fuck would they send an enormous balloon over? Doesn't make sense. Yeah, exactly. It makes no sense because, quite frankly, small little zippy things that are under the radar and not visible unless you're really searching for them, that's the smart thing to do. Not send a fucking three busload huge thing that you have no control over the propulsion or anything. That makes no sense. Something I read in the National Geographic says that there is an invisible, this is the interesting thing for me, right? And this mm -hmm. is what I want you to think about when you think about UAPs and balloons. So there's an ongoing invisible cat and mouse game between designers of US weapon systems and those made by Russia and China. So in places like Syria, Taiwan, Ukraine, military specialists nicknamed crows are all trying to be the big boss here. The sensors on aircraft or missiles have become more sophisticated over time. And now there's other ways of being able to fool these sensors into thinking that there's something there when actually there's not. Are you confused yet? Well, I'm just wondering why you would want someone to think there's something there when there's not. Because that's a reverse. That's a reverse. You want sensors to not know that you're there even though you are. So maybe they're just practicing. Who knows? Apparently the crows who are watching the sky, so just know that there are crows out there. They're known as crows. They're watching the skies. They're getting very good at detecting what's real and what's fake. And sometimes, for example, they'll see one plane and then suddenly there's 20 and then they'll huh. know that that's a fake, right? Yeah. But is it possible that the gimbal encounters were the result of spoofing or fooling by the other side? And if so, it would be very advanced technology for 2015. So in order to get this podcast episode together, I also watched Russell Brand, who I've oh. been avoiding of recent times because I'm not really enjoying it so much. But I'd love to hear what he said on his stay free video on YouTube. He said, is this just an excuse to spend more money on the military budget? Because in the past, UFOs have been used as an excuse to get more money for the defense budget. It's quite elaborate. They promote hysteria, saying, here come mm. the aliens. Look up, don't look down, because otherwise you'll see what's really going on down here. You know, how much money we're spending on the budget, what's going on in Ukraine, it's still going on. And also, the other interesting thing that I found with this story is that they're using the term UFO, not UAP, which they changed it to. Well, they did. They had a rebrand. Yeah, but they're calling them UFOs, not UAPs which is weird. Mm, very strange. So this is my question. Is it distraction or are they priming us for a war against China? They're the two things that I've come up with. A listener, Moira, sent me a lovely little video after a congressional meeting with Louisiana Republican John Kennedy, who was informing reporters on Capitol Hill of the contents of the briefing they just had about the balloons, okay? He said that the unknown objects entering America's airspace has been happening for years and years, is what he said. And the government don't always know what they are. And he also said, if they pose a threat to American people, no one knows what that threat is. And then he said, if you're confused, you understand the situation perfectly. Huh. That, to me, sounds like the most sensible thing out of any of that stuff. Because, realistically, of course other countries are sending little spy things into US airspace and UFOs don't care where they go. They're not concerned with airspace divides and And they're and not always going to hang around borders. the Navy ships, are they? No. He carries on. He says somehow the military were able to jam the communication and stop 
the one spy balloon from taking information, but they still don't know what the others are and it's likely they've missed a whole heap of them as well. Yeah. What he took from this briefing is that it's been going on since at least 2017-2019, not, as some reports are saying, just in the last two weeks. Mm. But his parting shot was quite interesting. He said, lock your doors tonight. (gasps) No. I know. Was it a joke? It was just so really slipped it in right at the very end. Lock your doors tonight. Oh, my God. Weird. That is weird. He's saying a whole heap of things without actually divulging what was really said. He did say, I can't tell you certain things. It's classified. That is intriguing. But he also admitted to being in the dark. Yes, I know. So listen, I just want to give you one last little thing that I took from this whole looking into the balloons, the war, aliens, debacle, right? Now, there's Live Science or Live Science. Which one is it? Is it LiveScience.com? I think it's LiveScience.com. It's a science magazine uh-huh. on the internet. So scientists released a model in December 2020 to look into the possibility of life on other planets and solar systems, galaxies, etc., etc., by taking into account things like the prevalence of sun-like stars, which can host Earth-like planets. They also took into account the frequency of deadly radiation-blasting supernovas, And they also took into consideration the time necessary for intelligent life to evolve if conditions are right. We've talked about this before, Michelle. What would they look like? How would they form? What would they be like? You know, they also took into account the possible tendency of tool bearing beings like us to destroy themselves. And the analysis revealed that the highest probability of life emerging in the Milky Way probably happened around 5.5 billion years ago, which predates our planet even forming. And this suggests that humanity is rather late to the party in this galaxy and that our potential alien neighbours have long since vanished into space dust. And that's why there's no sign of them. And that, my friend, is that. Oh, my God. I cannot even believe that's true because people look up. They see stuff in the sky. Aliens are out there. They're out there. Are they aliens or are they Chinese weather balloons with cloaking technology? I don't know. Are they just a distraction? Conspiracy. Conspiracy. As I often say, I'm not a scientist and I don't really have a brain for that kind of stuff. However, all of these light years, could the aliens have been and gone? And we're only just seeing it through telescopes and whatnot. Like, You think it's like an echo? I don't know. I really don't know. It's already happened, but we're just seeing it now. But it's absolutely fascinating because there's anecdotal evidence from so many people across so many cultures, across so many eras of stuff in the sky. This story isn't the first story about unidentified flying objects. It's always happening. It's just in the media. In fact, Geordie, this ties into what I'm talking about because all over the internet, there have been rumblings of, is this all just a conspiracy? And what I mean Mm -hmm. by that is all of this talk and all of this attention and focus on UFOs and the China air balloon stuff, is it just to deflect attention away from the Ohio train derailment that happened outside of an unfortunately named small town called East Palestine. At least it wasn't called Dead Horse, which is where one of the balloons came down. Look, I don't know whether or not this is real. It's the whole conspiracy verse on the internet jumping on board haha, train derailment, but (laughs) toot toot. look, I'm going to just walk you through it and you can tell me what you think because I'm not sure. Uh, Around nine o'clock in the evening on the 3rd of February, a Norfolk Southern cargo train derailed near the border of Ohio and Pennsylvania. I mean, as if that's not bad enough, the cargo on 20 of the train's carriages contained hardcore chemicals and super hazardous materials. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about or if you've seen any pictures of the derailment. I've seen pictures of plumes of smoke in the air. Yeah. You say plumes like it's this tiny little lovely wispy things. It's fucking Armageddon. Like an A-bomb Yeah, it it really is. It's like charred train carriages, Armageddon-looking end-of-the-world shit. That really shocks me, you know, Michelle, because those trains go through stations and you know Mm. that that's them because they go really fast Mm. they're really long 
They look like they've got no passengers on them. Those freight trains, if you're, especially if you're getting the train really early in the morning, you often see them. And I just think, what is on that train? Yeah. Fucking chemicals. That's what's on them. That's the thing. You know, this derailment caused a massive fire. And as if that's not bad enough, when emergency responders arrived, Obviously, their main worry was that the chemicals inside these carriages would create a massive explosion that would release noxious gases and shrapnel, shrapnel as well, into the surrounding area. So those first emergency responders, and fuck man, I don't know how you have the balls to do this, but they went inside the most concerning carriages. They did? Yeah. There were five of them, actually, that had the most toxic chemicals. They went into these carriages to let the chemicals out. Oh, dear. Now, I have a little list of some of those chemicals that were inside those train. It's like a container, like a sea container. But yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. Now, the first of these gases and chemicals, butyl acrylate, which is a clear liquid used for making paints, sealants and adhesives massively highly flammable and can cause skin eye respiratory irritation right then there's ethyl hexyl acrylate again colorless liquid used to make paints and plastics and again causes skin and respiratory fuck-ups and if it's heated can produce hazardous vapor and would it be heated here? Yes, it would because it's about to it's go hot. up yes. into fucking flames. Put a pin in that because we also have ethylene glycol monobutyl. Butyl. Butyl. <laughs> butros, butros, garlic. Again, another colorless liquid used as a solvent for paints and inks as well as dry cleaning fluid. Acutely toxic, able to cause serious or permanent injury, highly flammable, the vapors irritate eyes, nose. If you ingest it, it causes headaches, vomiting. And then there's vinyl chloride, which is a colorless gas that's used to make hard PVC plastics for PVC pipes. It's highly flammable. It's explosive. And when it decomposes, it can make toxic fumes. And it's known to cause cancer. It's a fact. Oh, my goodness. And look, I find this terrifying because... PVC pipes are used for everything, so many things, and they're made with these cancer-causing chemicals. And that just freaks me out when I think about the way we just go about our everyday lives with not a clue about this stuff. We're just like, oh, yeah, PVC pipe. The chemicals used to make that shit is intense. So PVC pipes, which is what they use nowadays. For everything. For all our water, our drinking water. Do they use that as well? Oh, look, I mean, it's definitely for sewage and who cares about that? But PVC is used for everything in those hard plastics. Look, according to an article I read on Newsweek.com, when I said earlier that letting the chemicals out of these carriages, those first emergency responders, apparently what they did, they put all these chemicals somehow into a nearby trench and they burned them. What? They set them on fire. Oh, my God. And isn't this exactly what they wanted to avoid? I don't understand. They were burning off the chemicals. And by doing that, they created a massive cloud of toxic gases like phosgene, which apparently was used during World War One, and oh hydrogen God. chloride. They put it all out into the atmosphere and they called it a controlled release. But it sounds fucking scary to me. And I saw a picture of the fire cloud. It was insane. It was massive. And it's just black, just billowing into this massive. Mm. It it looks like those atomic bomb. Mushroom cloud. Without the mushroom top. It's so intense. It actually looked photoshopped to me. It was so scary the way it looked. And I just thought... Fuck me, there is no way if I lived in East Palestine that I would be heading anywhere near my house after that shit. However, just days after all of this chemical shit went down, the environmental regulators, who had apparently been monitoring the air and the drinking water around the derailment site, they told residents, air and water's fine. Nothing's been affected by the spill or 
things were at acceptable levels. No one knows what those levels oh are meant goodness. to be. And uh, yay, go back to your houses. Go back to your homes. Oh, so they no. did. So loads of residents in East Palestine went back to their house and their homes, even though there was no testing of anyone's houses. And everyone doing all the environmental tests, they were all wearing hazmat suits and gas masks. But no, residents, no, it's all fine. You can go home. And the thing is, after they went back, many of these residents are now complaining of headaches, breathing problems, burning eyes, nausea. And oh no, yeah, and look, and trigger warning because this is really upsetting. Apparently, quite a lot of pets they've died mm. in cases of like suspected cases of chemical exposure. Oh, god, no, that's awful. And of course, there's now concern that okay, that's just the immediate effects. Yeah, what of kind of cancer term. clusters yeah. are going to pop up in that area in like 10, Chernobyl. 20? Yeah, exactly. Or maybe even sooner than 20 years' time. Now, in one report I read, a guy called Sil Caggiano, who is a hazardous materials specialist and former fire department chief, he came out to the media saying that he was surprised that residents were allowed to go home without any tests being carried out on their homes. And he said... Yeah. We basically nuked a town with chemicals so we could get a railroad open. Oh, like it's just fucking scary. And now there's this whole thing on the internet about the UFO and China thing being a cover up and a distraction and a deflection for how fucking massive this environmental disaster is. It's all part of this deflection game. Honestly, comments like this next one I'm going to tell you from Ohio Governor Mike DeWine who made this statement after officials lifted the crash site evacuation orders. His comment doesn't help because during a press conference, he described air quality readings after the derailment as, and I quote, basically similar to what they would have expected prior to the train wreck. What? What the fuck? Like, honestly, that's just saying our air quality is shit and it's shit before and it's shit after. Yeah. Same, same. And this is coming off the back of environmental experts also saying toxic chemical level in nearby waterways after the derailment were immediately toxic to fish. There were dead fish floating everywhere. Always a bad sign. Yeah. And that the chemicals, and I don't know whether it was from the embankment where they set this fucking fire off or if it was just from the immediate crash site, those chemicals that I talked about earlier had leaked into other waterways and streams in the area and had contaminated the water. But then you have other officials like James Justice of the US Environmental Protection Agency saying that a network of air station monitors inside and outside the evacuation zone was collecting samples and that none of the readings found anything to be concerned about. All of this got me thinking about Aaron Brockovich. Ah. So for anyone who did not see that movie from the year 2000 with Julia Roberts, and I don't know if you ever saw it, but there was that immortal lie where Julia Roberts was playing Erin Brockovich. She's wearing this low cut top to try and use her assets to like get information because she's a whistleblower. But anyway, I'll tell you a little bit about that. She basically says their boobs, Ed, and that was like the whole thing. She has her tits out. You know, she's this sassy, saucy girl. Erin Brockovich is a real life woman. And the story of the film was based on what actually happened. And essentially, she's an American woman who in the early 90s was a down and out single mum who managed to get herself a job in a law firm. And I think she was just basically making the coffees and helping out filing. But she ended up being smart. And through looking at these files that she was was filing to like help the actual lawyers, she kind of uncovered one of the biggest groundwater contamination sites in the USA. She was one of them. She wasn't one of these... Lawyers in a suit. She was the tea girl. She was the person who was going to end up being affected by this. Yeah, they were her people. And she would go out and talk to them like they were humans. And they were sick and they had cancer. And they were all being told by this chemical plant 
The water's fine. There's nothing wrong with the soil. There's nothing wrong with the water. Just keep living your lives. You know, they... Lies, damn lies. They put schools on contaminated chemical sites. Kids were playing in dirt and mud that was filled with chemicals. It's terrifying. But the thing is, you know, they were drinking these chemicals every day and so many of them died. And she, Erin Brockovich, was instrumental in blowing wide open the whole cover-up of what was really going on and getting people compensation. Erin Brockovich, the real Erin Brockovich, who is now an environmental lawyer and a consultant, she went to the media last week to say to the people of East Palestine, get out if you don't feel safe. Don't trust what they say. I mean, she just came right out and said it. And she said, you cannot trust the government on this one and that no one really knows the full extent of the damage right now to the environment or to the health of the people or animals and wildlife. And this is a quote from her. After 30 years of what I've been through and what this community is going through now, come on, it's vinyl chloride. It's in the air. The fish are dying. And she was urging people to record what's going on and to trust their gut about whether or not it was safe to go back. And she said, if you feel unsafe, then please get out of harm's way. If you feel unsafe, stay sheltered some other place. And if you're questioning if it's all clear and you think it isn't, listen to that inner voice. Document what's happening to your own health. Video the fish that are dying and whatever else you notice as you move about your community. She thinks it will be critical, not just for their health, but for any kind of lawsuit, I imagine. So she is not buying that everything's fine after all that chemical toxicity in the air. And she thinks that the chemicals have leaked into the water. And if that happens, you're fucked. So the upshot here is there was a train derailment, highly toxic cancer-causing chemicals, went every fucking where, and authorities are saying it's all fine. I'm not an environmental scientist. I don't know. But it's watch this space right now because... Absolutely, yeah. We don't know how this is going to play out now or in the future. But this also triggered a memory for me about another movie about chemical cover-ups that, like Aaron Brockovich was also based on a true story. It's from the Starring 80s. Shirt. You know it. I knew you would know it. You know what I'm going to say. And Meryl Streep. Yes. And it's not the Witches of Eastwick. No. <laughs> it's called Silkwood. Yes. Great film. Yeah. For anyone who's never heard of this film, it's a 1983 biopic, like you said, starring Meryl Streep, Sher, and Kurt Russell. Oh, I forgot about him. Yeah, he was in it. He was the boyfriend of Meryl Streep. Yeah. And Meryl plays Karen Silkwood, the the main protagonist. Yeah. It was actually written by Nora Ephron. The rom-com writer. Yeah. She wrote When Harry Met Sally, Sleepless in Seattle. And it was directed by Mike Nichols, who did The Graduate, Catch-22, loads of high-profile films. So... It was a small movie, you know, but it made a really big impact and it was nominated at the time for every award going. I don't think it won that many, but it was nominated for everything. And it was one of the first films to blow the whistle on these big chemical companies covering up how destructive their products are to humans and the environment. And the real life story of Karen Silkwood is not so far from the film. So basically, in August 1972, uh, Karen Silkwood was 27 and she got a job as a metallography lab technician with a company called Kerr McGee. Yeah, I know. And she was working at the Chimarron fuel fabrication site near Crescent, Oklahoma. And her job was she was making plutonium fuel rods for white goods, including things for Westinghouse. Plutonium? In your fridge? 1972 this was. Gee whiz. No one knew about plutonium, Geordie. They all thought it was just this wonderful new thing that was going to make their fridge work. An atomic device in your kitchen. Also a reason why you shouldn't have fucking old white goods if they're still going. You know, get rid of that shit. But anyway... So her job was to make the the fuel rods for these things. Plus, she was also inspecting radioactive plutonium pellets to make sure they were like the correct size. They didn't have any chips or cracks in them, which meant they were then suitable to be made into these eight foot long stainless steel plutonium fuel rods. 
And these rods were then wiped down with alcohol and given a final check in an x-ray room to make sure they were good to go. And Karen had to work directly with the plutonium pellets and just randomly go through them, just making sure that the plutonium was evenly distributed throughout the pellet. So she was really fucking hands-on. And by all accounts, from what I've read, health and safety at that time was fucking near zero. Please tell me she was wearing gloves at least. Yes, she was. And they did have some protocols in place, but apparently Kurt McGee were not top-notch in training their workers on how to handle plutonium. And according to reports I read, the company also routinely failed to inform workers about the health hazards of working with plutonium. So basically, they just thought, yeah, the company has told me everything's fine. I'm just handling these things. I mean, they're handling fucking plutonium Mm. with a thin layer of plastic between them and their actual skin. Oh, my God. The workers went on strike, not because of the health hazards, but because they wanted better conditions and better pay. Karen went on strike as well. The thing is, they didn't get anywhere. The strike led to nothing. But it did make Karen more outspoken. And unfortunately, the strike, I think, probably just kind of exacerbated things because after they all went back to work, production increased and the conditions got even worse. There were seven-day work weeks, 12-hour shifts, exhausted workers to keep up with demand. The company were hiring more untrained workers. And of course, this led to slip-ups and people got exposed to super, super dangerous levels of radiation. And Karen she was not having it. So she started stirring the pot to improve these conditions and it did not go down well with anyone, including management. So on July 31st, 1974. So two years later. So yeah, give or take two years later, Karen had done a shift where she was pulverizing plutonium pellets. Oh God. And a routine check of the air sample filter papers showed that the air Karen had been breathing during her shift was massively radioactive. Now, the thing is, the filters used before Karen's shift and after her shift were clean. Mm -hmm. It was only the ones used during her shift that were contaminated. Really fucking dodgy. She was put in the firing line. Yeah. And when Karen would do weekly nose, mouth, urine and fecal samples... All the results came up positive for radiation. Oh, God. But she was repeatedly told that her contamination levels were insignificant. She was told that those insignificant levels were a standard that was given by the Atomic Energy Commission. So she thought, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. It's all, it's all good. Even though time and time again, things were coming up yeah. as... She was being contaminated. Then somehow Karen got elected as a worker representative um, for health and safety. And she was going to the Oil, Chemical and Atomic Workers Union to talk about health and safety at Kurt McGee. And this spurred her on more. She became a woman with a mission. And over the next few months, at the request of the union, she was asked to take note of how the conditions were at Kerr McGee and to document everything in regards to unsafe working conditions and to be super specific about it all. So she started doing that. She was documenting contamination incidents. She was mm-hmm. interviewing workers. She was tracking any spills and she started finding shit. She started finding shit like falsification of records, poor training, health regulation violations, and even some accounts of plutonium that was just missing. Oh, my goodness. And it was fucking shocking what was going on, and she was documenting it all. Finally, she got airtime with the union heads on September 26 in 1974, where she met with a guy from the union called Anthony Mazzocchi, and he was the Oil, Chemical and Atomic Workers Union Citizenship Legislative Director. And he told them, and they did not know this before, Anthony was the one that told Karen and her other colleagues at this union meeting that there was a direct link between plutonium and cancer. Mm. And Karen was fucking devastated. She was furious and frightened when she heard this because 
she was getting contaminated and and told over and over again, oh, it's fine, it's fine. Oh, dear. But that was the thing. She was absolutely furious because she was like, no one at Kerr McGee is telling the workers this. The thing is that Anthony Mazzocchi, he was not surprised that Kerr McGee wasn't giving the workers the real picture of how lethal plutonium could be. Because if workers know this, if they think that plutonium's not dangerous, then they're going to keep working and there's going to be less problems and less trouble for the company. You know, jobs get done, money gets made. Karen then told the union about how she discovered that Kerr McGee was falsifying their quality assurance records and that leaking fuel rods, leaky fucking plutonium fuel rods were being sent out to be used (gasps) in white goods and all the stuff for the public. It's fucking scary. And Karen was the only one talking about it. And when Anthony Mazzocchi heard this, he was like, fuck, what are we going to do? And he decided, he came up with this plan. He decided to hold back on telling the Atomic Energy Commission about the quality assurance cover up Mm -hmm. to instead focus on the health and safety issues for workers because he felt that that was the most important thing. But he did have a plan, which apparently only he and Karen knew about. They were going to go to the New York Times with the story on the dodgy quality control with the hope that the shitty publicity garnered from it would put Kerr McGee in the spotlight and back them into a corner where they had to kind of step up. So Karen went back to work at the nuclear plant in October 1974. She started collecting even more evidence, hard evidence of all the dodgy quality control manipulation. Thing is, when she started looking into the x-rays of the rod welds, she discovered that someone was basically airbrushing the pictures to hide all the faults and cracks and <gasps> oh the defects. No. So they were going out. And it's awful. She found that workers were being given defective masks and respirators. Oh, no. They get, their gloves had holes in them. It's oh fucked up. And that the on-site doctor at the plant was telling workers, oh, you're all fine. Yeah, the, the chemicals don't have any effect on your genes. Nothing to worry about. Unbelievable. These are people with families. Yep. So obviously Karen was fucking on a mission, furious. She got a reputation as a troublemaker because she started complaining to management about things. Yeah. She was rocking the boat. Weird things started happening to Karen. Plutonium was found on her hands after a shift at the plant where she'd been grinding and polishing plutonium pellets. No holes are apparently found in the gloves, but the plutonium wasn't in the air either, which ruled out a leak. Had somebody put plutonium inside her gloves? Her gloves, yes, I think so. The next day, even though Karen hadn't worked with any plutonium pellets, plutonium was again found on her hands, found on her neck, on her face, (gasps) on her forearm. And also they went and checked her apartment. Her apartment was full of fucking plutonium, but her car and locker were not. That's bizarre. Because the thing is, the company tried to say that she was contaminating herself to try and put the company in the shit. Who would do that? She got tested. They found shitloads of plutonium in her lungs. But they kept saying it's all at acceptable levels. Don't worry about it. Thing is, no one knew how exposed Karen was to this plutonium contamination. The thing is, she wasn't really involved in any incident And this all started like coming to a head after she was stirring up trouble. One day she did a shift. She then went to this union meeting where she was, she told one other person that she was going to meet the New York Times reporter after the meeting Mm. where she was going to hand over all the shit that she'd collected, all these documents, except Karen never made it to the New York Times reporter meeting. Her car was found down an embankment, having plunged off the highway. Now, state police said the crash was an accident, saying she probably fell asleep at the wheel. But these things don't add up because, first of all, there was a fresh dent on Karen's rear bumper bar, which makes it possible that Karen was forced off the road. road. Yep. The other thing that was super suspicious, all those documents that Karen was going to hand over to the New York Times reporter... Not one single piece of those documents was found. Everything was gone. They'd vanished. Her family were devastated. 
And they were like, this sure. is fucking foul play. So they requested on her, an autopsy on her body and she was riddled with plutonium at oh. the highest concentrations. They also found it in her gastrointestinal tract, meaning... So she'd been eating it. She'd been eating food laced with plutonium. Oh, my God. There has never been any hard evidence, but what this film Silkwood is saying is she was poisoned and run off the road to shut her up. Yeah. So her family sued Kermit G and eventually won a settlement. And the tragic thing is that a year later, Kermit G basically stopped its production of plutonium rods because Westinghouse were like, these are shit. These don't work well. We're moving into different technology. So it was all for fucking nothing. But yeah, that film really shone a light on how money and greed fuels these things. Overrides health and safety and safety at work. She's a fucking hero. Is that what we're going to see with this latest train derailment? Put a pin in that. Watch this space, guys. That's us being controversial and current, Michelle. Except for Silkwood, that was in the 70s. But it does definitely reflect what's going on today, that's for sure. Yeah. Thank you for your amazing story on UFOs. I'm going to be keeping abreast of that in the news. Or not UFOs. Or they're just weather balloons. They could just be Quite weather literally. balloons. Who knows? <laughs> and uh, I'll keep you updated on this train derailment. But Geordie. Wonderful. You know what it is? You know what time it is. What time is it, Michelle? It's time to say, wherever you are. Whatever you do. Just, just keep, keep eavesdropping. 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 Eavesdropping.